This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we pray that you would speak to us afresh this morning by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So next month marks the 15th anniversary of Google Maps. I know that's probably not huge news, uh, but it sure has made a difference to most of us. For those here under the age of 25, you likely don't remember a time without GPS navigation. Uh, But back in the olden days, we still had real maps made of paper. Um, I I love maps. I always have. And uh, I love to plan a journey to see what's on the way. And uh, if I may really brag about it, I even know how to fold a map. Well, National Geographic makes personalized map puzzles. It's, it's, uh, you can order these online. You enter your address and your postcode, and they'll make you your very own map puzzle. And in the middle is one piece shaped like a house, and that's your address. I mean, how cool is that? Well, I don't know what your mental picture of the Magi is, but I like to think that I may have at least one thing in common with them. I think that, like me, they loved maps. They must have done. They were used to poring over charts of the stars of the world as they knew it, trying to read the the signs of the heavens and of the times. And they were seeking to find this newborn king. And that journey, a long journey over a long period of time, must have taken a lot of planning and preparation. As the wise men thought and researched and discussed all that they knew from reading the ancient texts, from observing the night sky and looking at their maps, I should imagine it must have looked like one ginormous puzzle. But what a delight, what a joy, when all their thinking and studying and planning came together and they had that great revelation, that epiphany, that great aha, and they realized that they must follow this star to find what God was doing. And finally, in Bethlehem, they find the key piece in their great puzzle. And that key piece at the center of their map, at the center of the universe, at the center of time itself, was not so much an address as a person the infant Jesus. Now, like any puzzle, the picture can seem impossible to see until you find and place that key piece. And then suddenly, the whole picture makes sense. Well, the season of epiphany that begins tomorrow is a bit like a puzzle. St. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, is simply bursting to explain to us the key piece to this puzzle, the key that had for so long been hidden. He has come to know what the centerpiece of the puzzle is, the mystery of the one who the Magi worshipped. 
And in this passage from 1 Corinthians, Paul is simply rhapsodizing about the mystery that God has made known. We've got 12 verses in this passage, and in the, in the original Greek, it is one long, very complex sentence. And so it's deep. You might find it helpful to have that passage open um, in your bulletins if you want to d- dig in with me this morning. But in English, a mystery is often something strange and secret, something puzzling and, and obscure. But the Greek word mysterion is a little bit different. Although still a secret, it is no longer a closely guarded one, but an open one. Now, originally, the Greek word referred to some almost magical truth, which a person learns only by some form of initiation. So it would be used to describe secret teachings of some mystery religions. But in Christianity, there are no esoteric mysteries or secrets that are hidden from all but the chosen few. On the contrary, the Christian mysteries, and there are mysteries, are truths which, though beyond mere human discovery, have been revealed by God and belong to the whole church and are wide open for all to receive. So just as an aside, be careful. If people come along and say, oh, I've got this you know, really special way and only, only the invited few know these things because this is what has been revealed. No, the mysteries of God in Christ have been revealed and that's what we're going to look at. And with this truth that has now been revealed, there is great excitement. God has revealed something that he wants the whole world to know. So what is this mystery? It is that Jesus is the key piece to the puzzle of life. You know, in Advent, we were singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel an expression of the longing in our hearts for Christ to come, echoing the longings of God's people of old. And in these 12 days of Christmas, 12th day today, we are remembering and rejoicing in the Word made flesh. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. And in Epiphany that starts tomorrow, we rejoice in the mystery revealed. Jesus is the one we have longed for. Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. Jesus is God made flesh. And in Jesus, the mystery of God's purposes are made known. The purposes of God that were set before the foundation of the world are now revealed in Jesus. So I want to dig into this um, rich passage from Ephesians 1 this morning. And in these verses, St. Paul describes the blessings and new life that God has given us in Christ. And these blessings, he tells us, are past, present, and future. First, Paul tells us in verses 3 and 4 that God the Father has blessed us, and specifically that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Or in other words... Before God had even made the world, before the creation, he had formed a plan. He had a purpose, a purpose that has Christ at the center of it 
and mind-bogglingly includes us. You and me and all whom he desired to be as adopted as his sons and daughters. John Stott writes this, quote, Mark well the statement, he chose us in him. The juxtaposition of the three pronouns is emphatic. God put us and Christ together in his mind. He determined to make us, who did not yet exist, his own children through the redeeming work of Christ, which had not yet taken place. He continues, it also arose from his entirely unmerited favor, since he chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him, which indicates that we, when in his mind he chose us, were unholy and blameworthy and therefore deserving not of adoption, but judgment. Wow. God chose us, not because we're good people, but because he loves us. And this is part of the great mystery that Paul is so very excited about. This is the extraordinary blessing from the past, from the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world. And it's rooted in God's grace, in God's love, in God's will, in God's purpose, and in God's sovereign choice. There is no room in there anywhere for any boasting, any self-righteousness, any claim to our own merit or goodness whatsoever. The mystery is all about God and what he purposed for us in Christ. So that's the first uh, aspect of blessings based on the past. Second, in the present, this has profound consequences for us. Not only did God purpose something in the past, but he did so in order that we could be adopted as his sons and daughters today in the present. I don't know whether you've ever wondered this, but I have sometimes wondered why God created the world given that he already knew what would happen, given that he knew what a mess of it we'd make, given that he knew about the fall. So why, why do it? Well, I think these verses give us a glimpse of why. Again, let me quote from Stott. One answer we can tentatively give is that he destined us for a higher dignity than even creation could bestow on us. He intended to adopt us, to make us the sons and daughters of his family. We see in these verses, St. Paul speaks to this in verse 5, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. And in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. Once again, wow. And when you read this, against the story of Herod, it's just jaw-dropping. Herod thought he was so great. He pretends to be interested in the wise men and their quest. But of course, he's interested only in himself 
and his pathetic grip on power. Herod said that he wanted to visit the king that the wise men were seeking so that he too could go and pay homage. But in fact, when he finds out that the wise men don't come back and tell him, because of course we know they'd been warned in a dream to go the other way, Herod is furious. And he calls for the brutal massacre of innocent babies and toddlers two years old and younger. The rulers of this world are so often concerned with their own power and prestige. They effect their plans by fear and fury to subjugate and suppress. Herod singled out those who he thought could be a threat to him to have them murdered. God singled us out even while we were rebellious and willful and disinterested not to kill us, but to adopt us. And St. Paul goes on to say that not only has God chosen us in Christ in the past and adopted us as his children in the present, but thirdly, he has also made known to us, verse 9 again, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time going forward. God has a plan for us in Christ for the future. History is not meaningless nor purposeless. It is moving inexorably towards a glorious goal. God's plan, this mystery, verse 10, is to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. On this second Sunday of Christmas, we marvel at the mystery of the Word made flesh. We stand in awe that in Christ, heaven and nature sing. In Jesus, we see the revealing of God's eternal plan. In Jesus, God is reconciling man to God. Last quote from John Stott this morning. In the fullness of time, God's two creations, his whole universe, and his whole church will be unified under the cosmic Christ, who is the supreme head of both. Next time we see human rulers, leaders, presidents, or prime ministers behaving like Herod, don't despair. But remember, who is the king of kings? Remember who it is that is the Lord of lords. And we would do well to reflect the kind of perspective that St. Paul had on the way things really are. He was writing this letter while a prisoner awaiting trial in Rome. And he could have become utterly depressed by his house arrest and the atrocities of the Roman emperors. But his perspective was one that enabled him to look back to before the foundations of the world, and to look forward to the fullness of time. And this new year, let us do likewise. I think it is easy for us to, to despair. You know, when you read the news, it's despairing making stuff. But let Paul's words this morning be a reminder of the blessings that are ours in Christ and of the glorious hope we have as we live 
as adopted children of God. This, then, is the reason we are, as Paul writes, to live to the praise of his glory. But this begs the question, how? How are we to live as God's adopted sons and daughters whom he has chosen? As well as being in awe of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ, as we worship and bow down before him, we need also to live into our calling as his sons and daughters. And as to the how, this is something that we can't do on our own. We need one another. That's one of the reasons we urge everyone at Ascension to be a part of a community group. These 30 or so groups are the places, the context, where we can know and be known, where we can love and be loved. Now, of course, they're not perfect. I mean, how could they be, given who's in them? But my point is simply this. Please, please, I implore you, don't try to be a lone ranger Christian. That is not something we are ever exhorted to be or to do in the scriptures. I think one of the hardest things for probably all people to deal with is actually trying to go solo, trying to do life on our own. And there are many people today who are in the grip of profound loneliness. Over the last 15 years or so, a number of websites have popped up where people can bear their souls anonymously or make their confessions kind of anonymously. One of them is called postsecret.com. It's been going 15 years. And over that time, almost a billion people have posted on this site or sent postcards to its founder. And amidst the unsavory or silly posts, there are many serious and sad posts. I took a quick look last week and came across some real cries of the heart. Here are just three examples that were posted last Sunday and the Sunday before that. First, I told my work that I'll be attending an out-of-state funeral for a few days next week. I'm actually quietly having an abortion that only my boyfriend knows about. I've never felt so alone. Second one. Today, I've been married for 12 years. Today, I admitted to myself how lonely I am. Today, I decided to figure out how to leave. Last one. I came out to my dog, and he still loves me. I hope I can say the same for my parents after next month. Now, I guess we shouldn't be surprised to read posts like that. The desire to be loved, to belong, to be wanted. These desires are hardwired into each one of us. They're actually God-given desires. God made us to be in relationship with him and relationship with others. And this is precisely where the missing piece of the puzzle, the mystery of God in Christ comes in. For the very heart of God hears the cries of those who mail virtue, virtual or real postcards to postsecret.com. And those countless souls 
who have gone before crying out for authentic relationship and community. But what is really surprising about the great mystery of God's grace and his salvation plan in Christ is that it's to be made known also through the church. This is remarkable. The church, as the body of Christ, is to be found at the center of our personalized map puzzles. In Ephesians 3.10, Paul writes that through the church, the wisdom of God might now be made known. Through the church, it might be made known. That's us. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, barriers between individuals are broken down. And the ultimate barrier of death separating us from God is also broken down and defeated. But this new community, the church, is the place in which enemies of God are reconciled to God and enemies of one another may be reconciled to one another. This then is the answer to the loneliness and the desperation that so many feel and experience and live with day in and day out. And yet, sadly, we don't always live up to this calling that God has placed upon us as his body, as the church. And so for many people, the, the church is the last place they would even think of going to, to find community. Such is their perception, rightly or wrongly, that the church is somehow a closed, holier-than-thou club that seems only to argue with itself or judge others. May God forgive us when that has been true of us. The great mystery that is revealed at Epiphany is that the good news of Jesus is for all. It's for your neighbor. It's for your friend, your colleague your boss, for the person who's never even heard of Jesus. So I hope that we might grasp afresh this epiphany of God. God made known in Jesus. God revealed to the world. This was Paul's mission. This is our mission. And mind-blowing, though this might sound, we are part of God's eternal purposes for the world. I don't know why Jesus was born specifically 2020 or however many years ago, and not sooner or later, but it was no accident. I don't know why God waited to reveal the mysteries of his salvation in Jesus, but God sent Jesus at the right time, and he's called us together at this time in this new year. The church is central to the puzzle map. The mystery of God's salvation in Jesus is not to be hidden, but to be shared. Well, I want to, to wrap up with one more thought about the personalized puzzle map. You know, when you first moved to a new home um, in a new town, I would imagine that one of those maps would be quite difficult because everything's going to be unfamiliar. But come back to it after you've lived in a place for five or 10 or 20 years and it'll be a lot easier. The 
street names, the local landmarks, they're all going to make sense and fall into place to form the picture. Well, for many of us here this morning, we've been members of the Christian community for 5, 10, 20 years or more. We know the stories of Jesus and of the wise men and of the gospel. And if that describes you this morning, I, I want you to kind of have a fresh look at this epiphany picture today. The picture of the eternal word made flesh, of God's mysteries revealed in Jesus. This picture is one that can inspire us afresh at the start of this new year. A new year that holds we know not what, but this we do know. It is another year of God's grace, another year of God's presence with us, another year in which we are called together to be his people. I don't know whether you make New Year's resolutions or not, and uh, if you have, how many you've already broken, but I want to just suggest two for you. First, would you take a few minutes today to write down the names of two people whom you will pray for regularly this year, whether it's every week or however, whatever regular means to you, that they may see and encounter the mystery of God in Christ made known to them. Two people that you could pray for. And a second, will you ask God to shine his light afresh on you into the dark places in your life to illuminate your pathway this year and to enable you in a new way to shine brightly in our world for God. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. No wonder the wise men knelt down and paid homage to he who was the light. May we do likewise. Amen.